Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Jordan Rayner, who is an entrepreneur, an author, and a whole lot more, so stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and I'm thrilled to have Jordan Rayner back on the podcast. He is a good friend and um, has been on the podcast many of times, and uh, it's always a, a joy having him on. We dig in today to faith and work. He is an enthusiast and is quite knowledgeable about how our Christian faith impacts the work we do with our hands. Um, so yes, certainly the, the work of business and marketplace, but also the professions, the careers, and healthcare uh, as baristas um, and, and so many other professions as well. So in this conversation, we talk through his new book, The Sacredness of Secular Work, Four Ways Your Job Matters for Eternity, and then in parentheses, even when you're not sharing the gospel. And so the really the connection between um, how we can live our Christian faith well with excellence and still glorify God um, in the process. And what it does is it takes us uh, for a, a better understanding of scripture from Genesis through Revelation, um, rather than simply starting at the Great Commission in Matthew, which is certainly uh, important, actually essential, but we come to a more robust, fuller truth of God's word and what it says about uh, what we put our hands to, our work. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn this conversation over to Jordan Rayner. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined with Jordan Rayner, who is a husband, father, follower of Christ, author, entrepreneur, and uh, dare I say, enthusiast of how the Christian faith impacts work. And so Jordan, thanks so much for uh, joining the podcast again today. Dude. I love hanging out with you, Tyler. Super excited to be back. Yeah. You know, as I was um, introducing you, I, as I was reading through uh, your book, you, you managed to find uh, a lot of job professions. And so I want to start by asking you, you, in pairs of threes, you seem to, to throughout each page, hit hundreds of different job professions. And so when I was doing your intro, I was like, how many can I fit in, in, uh, in one introduction? And so <laughs> tell me about that research, pro- research process of how, uh, how you managed to figure out how many job professions there, there are in the world. Oh, man, I love this question because there's a lot of work that goes into this that goes unnoticed, and I love that you noticed. Yeah, yeah listen, man, um, one of my biggest complaints about quote-unquote faith and work content is that it tends to skew really, really, really businessy. Right. Even I even I, I actually never even use that term marketplace ministry because marketplace screams business and says screw you to healthcare professionals and education professionals and public servants and mechanics. Um, and so we're we're hyper intentional about creating content that helps all Christians connect the gospel of Jesus Christ to their work. And my assistant and our podcast producers have built this like really detailed spreadsheet that literally has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different vocations. And we're always trying to call out in pairs of three, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at least one job where you work with your mind, Mm. at least one job where you work with your hand and your hands, and then kind of a free for all. 
uh, mm-hmm. kind of a freebie uh, in there. So yeah, we're, we're, we're hyper intentional about that in my podcast, in the books, uh, trying to speak the language of all believers doing all sorts of, I believe, deeply sacred work mm-hmm. that others deem secular in the world. Totally. No, well, thank you. And as I was uh, reading through your book, um, managed to read through, I love it because it's uh, under 150 pages. And so um, for us people who like to read efficiently and quickly and get through, it's uh, it was it was exciting to see the, the, the end was near as I was picking up the book. And um, I have to say, I think in this book in particular, maybe I'm just noticing it more, but as I was looking, I'm like, man, this guy has so many footnotes. And so I know you've spent a lot of time, no, you know, like researching and, um, and spending a lot of work behind the scenes. And so can you just tell me a little bit more about the inspiration and vision behind this and, uh, just kind of what went into all this, uh, all this, this research and backend work? Oh man, I never get to talk about this stuff. This is great. Tyler. I love this. Oh, good. good. Yeah. Listen, in a way, the sacredness of secular work is a book that I've been writing for yeah. almost 10 years. I have been reading and writing about and sharing content around how our work matters. But you know, Tyler, um, when I tell somebody that their job is an entrepreneur or a barista or a teacher, there you go, three of them, matters for eternity, and I've been doing this for a long time now, the, the most typical response I hear is, oh, yeah, 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 amen, my job is my mission field. Mm-hmm. And listen, like, yeah. that is, of course, gloriously true. But if the only way that our work matters for eternity is because we can leverage our job to the instrumental end of, quote-unquote, sharing the gospel, then most of us are wasting the vast majority of our time, right? Like, like how much time do we spend explicitly witnessing to a coworker in a given month? 15 minutes? An hour? Let's be crazy generous and say that somebody's spending three hours a month sharing the gospel with their coworkers. That means that roughly 1% of their time matters for eternity. And I don't know about you, man, but like wow. I find that deeply depressing. Yeah. More importantly, it's deeply unbiblical. And so that was the origin of this book. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we all get that our work matters because we can share the gospel with our coworkers. What beyond that? Because my heart's desperate plea is that every believer would see how every Zoom meeting they lead, mm-hmm. how every Uber they drive, how every diaper they change – has the potential to mm. be not in vain, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So that's kind of the backstory of this man. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote mm-hmm. The Sacredness of Secular Work to help believers see how 100% of their time at work matters for eternity, even when they're not sharing the gospel. And yeah, we did a whole lot of research to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I've never read a book with this many endnotes. Uh, so I think that makes up like a third of the book, just the endnotes <laughs> of this thing. Yeah, no, that's fair. Thank you. Um, one of the things you mentioned, and I... I yeah, I, I have certainly have a heart for um, faith and work, marketplace, ministry, like whatever this this yeah. kind of ethos is. But uh, I think you mentioned something which was important is the totality of our work. And so um, I've been kind of reading, you know, diving into this and there's there's work that we're paid for, but then there's also other work that we're not paid for. And so I was curious, do you have kind of a framework or understanding of vocation versus calling and work and how that how you've kind of come to understand that because I think this is this is important for a lot of us to see and I think has been eye-opening for myself and for others yeah yeah so we should clarify when you're talking about a book called the sacred and sacred work what the heck do we mean by work right right so yeah listen most obviously I'm referring to the work that you get paid to do but I'm not just referring 
to your job because I think God defines work much more broadly than we do, much more broadly than mm-hmm. we think we do for income. His definition of work is so broad that in Exodus 20, when mm. he's handed down the Ten Commandments, he said that even animals work, mm. right? The Sabbath command is a command for you to rest and also for your animals to rest from their labor. So I, I think the most biblical way to define work is simply just to expend energy in an effort to achieve mm-hmm. a desired result. Or stated in the negative, work is the opposite of leisure and rest, hmm. right? And so that definition is pretty broad. Mm. It includes, yes, the thing you do for a paycheck, but it also includes folding laundry and mowing the grass or studying for an exam. Okay. All of that is work. And my kind of proposition in this book is that all of it has the potential to matter for eternity uh, even when you're not doing exclusively "quote unquote" spiritual tasks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, no, I think that's helpful. Thank you. Um, I think one of the things first is just diagnosing the our. Uh, we've done a, a little bit of this work, but would love to kind of ex- yeah. expand our horizon in terms of what the what the how we have viewed it. Right, as people, as this is a, a faith based uh, Christian podcast, as Christians have often viewed it. You alluded to one. A half truth, right, of how we viewed yep. work, um, but then also just as I think it's always important to understand as a culture, right, where, 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 what direction are we heading in the United States, but also just globally as well as as where we are so connected. So we'd love to just kind of hear a bit more. What is the context that we find ourselves in? What are some of these truths that are half that we're half believing or are half true, yeah. um, both inside of the church and uh, perhaps outside the church? Well. Yeah. Yeah. So the first half of the sacredness of secular work is really breaking down these half truths. Uh, there's a whole chapter on mm-hmm. half truths about heaven. The church is <laughs> the broader culture and even evangelicals culture of heaven is anemic uh, and at best half true. But I also take on this half mm-hmm, truth mm-hmm. that is the abridged gospel. You know, the, 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 the dominant version of Jesus' good news that we preach in our churches today is essentially, hey, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save people from their sins. Yeah. And every word of that statement is 100% true, mm-hmm. but it is tragically incomplete. It is a half-truth, and there are tons of practical implications for your life. Let me give you just one. Mm-hmm. If the gospel is only good news for our souls, as the abridged gospel suggests, Mm -hmm. then the great commission to save souls and make disciples is the singular mission of the Christian life. And most of us are wasting most of our time, but this isn't the good news we see throughout scripture, Mm. right? The unabridged gospel that we see from Genesis one to revelation 22 is this, it says that God created a perfect world and deemed the spiritual and the material to be good. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. He invited it. He could have finished that creation in the garden of Eden all on his own, but he didn't. He invited his children to rule over it with him and for him via mm-hmm. the first commission that we see in Genesis 1 to mm-hmm. fill the earth and subdue it. Mm-hmm. Turn your pages to Genesis 3. We see that humankind sinned. We usher in the curse that broke every part of that perfect creation, ensuring our need for a savior. But Jesus' resurrection did more than save my soul and your soul. Mm-hmm. Right, His blood was sufficient to redeem every square inch of creation, spiritual and material. And so our work with the spiritual and material matters greatly to God. Mm-hmm. This is what mm-hmm. Paul's hinting at in Ephesians 2. He says, hey, we're not saved by our works. 
We are saved for the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do all along, which is what? Partnering with him to cultivate heaven on earth that we see in Genesis 1. And if that's the gospel, this unabridged gospel, this indescribably great news, yes, for our souls, but also the entire material world, then we can be confident in our dual vocation that we see time and time again throughout Scripture. Mm -hmm, The Great Commission mm -hmm. to make disciples and the First Commission to make culture to implement Christ's authority over the spiritual and the material Mm -hmm. realms. And if that's true, Mm -hmm. if we do have this dual vocation for the spiritual and material realms, then 100% of my life has the potential to matter for Mm -hmm. eternity, right? Mm -hmm. But when all we preach are these half-truths about heaven, these half-truths about the gospel, it's so painfully impossible Mm -hmm. to see. Mm -hmm. Oh, so so our um our our faith and uh work doesn't uh, start at the Great Commission. I thought it started. At, I thought it started at Matthew. No, exactly. Okay, so that's Genesis. That's how we preach the gospel, right? Right, right, right. right. Started in Genesis three. We ended at the cross, and that's it. Yeah. But but here's the deal, right? It's like it's like starting the Star Wars saga in Episode six and wondering why Luke has daddy issues. That's how we preach the gospel, right? Like without Genesis one, without Revelation twenty two. It doesn't make sense what we've been saved for. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. so much of our talk of the gospel in our church is all about what Mm -hmm. Jesus has saved us from. Very important. Saved us from sin, saved us from death. But without Genesis 1, 26 to 28, the first commission, it's impossible to see what he has saved us for and what Mm -hmm, Paul means mm -hmm. in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 when he says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, i.e. saved for the good works in advance mm-hmm. that God prepared in advance for us to do. I hear mm-hmm. pastors preach this all the time, and they imply that good works there means exclusively spiritual work. That's a lie, mm-hmm. right? Paul had Greek words at his disposal that we translate to mean evangelism and prayer. That's not what he used here. He used a Greek word that literally means work, task, and employment. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense given the context of Genesis 1. If what God created us to do in the beginning is fill the earth and subdue it, to make this world more useful for other human beings' benefit and enjoyment, then I can better understand that, yes, mm-hmm. I have not been saved by my works, but I have been saved for good mm-hmm. works, which mm-hmm. includes that first commission and this new great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's good. It's it's funny because you're I, I didn't grow up in the evangelical world. And so actually, as you, as you know, from the Northeast, yep. certainly... Catholicism and mainline liberalism has been quite prominent in this area. And so I, I've obviously gotten into this space more recently and I'm seeing all of the, the you know, the the different the culture, the, the kind of subculture yeah. of this that has some of it's, you know, is good, some of it's not good. Um, and so before, I mean, I think what some people and I think really it's the, the rise of I think being careful and I think you're I think you're 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 helpful in clarifying this. It's not our own effort that's going to uh, save us in this. And I think you even show an example of it. Yeah, there's toward the end, I was putting all of my hope in my work, right? And you're, so yeah. some, there is a limit to it. Um, yes. And coming to a great understanding, obviously, of Sabbath is is key. Um, but um, I think it, it's a it's a both and. Um, but I think just coming to a greater perspective, seeing the narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation of God working through people to uh, and we're partnering with him and what he's already doing um, gives us a more a more complete picture um, yeah yeah that's exactly right and scripture I mean listen let's draw this out as explicitly as we can scripture makes it abundantly clear that our good works contribute nothing yeah. to our salvation nothing at all right 
They contribute to our eternal rewards, yes. But to our entrance into the kingdom of God, we do nothing. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, right? Mm -hmm. So we have been saved not by our works, but absolutely we have been saved for them in mm -hmm. that broader unabridged gospel that extends past Genesis 3, past Matthew, mm -hmm. all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is critical to understand that. We talked about Genesis 1 being created to work in the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. but fast forward mm -hmm. to the end of this age, work is also a major part of eternity on the new earth. We don't talk about this in the church like at all. We have this view of the, the temporary heaven, the present heaven in the clouds, whatever that means. By the way, not a lot of evidence for that, right? Yeah. Um, but we talk so much about the present heaven, the writers of scripture rarely did. There's much more in scripture about the new earth, heaven's mm. final resting place. And what we see in Isaiah 65 or Revelation 22 and other places is that we're going to be engaged in a perfect eternal vocation without the curse forever and ever with King Jesus, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's true, man, my work matters a whole lot more in the present, but it doesn't matter ultimately, right? Mm -hmm. It is a good thing, but not an ultimate thing. Hmm. Only Christ okay. is that ultimate thing. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful. Um, one of the things you mentioned was the eternal reward. And so um, this is something, you know, I, I think getting a little bit into the what what where our future is and our the in the second coming of Christ and what the new heavens, new earth is. And I would say it's not annihilation because Christ or sorry, that God made creation. Creation has a good purpose. Um, why would he create it to then, you know, annihilate it? But I think even in that we can see even in like one example I heard this recently was like even in forest fires actually, sometimes there's a refining work at a healthy level that then yes. will cause them to, to come back up. And so some things have to be refined in order to then uh, come more alive, more be more full. Um, but so can you just talk a little bit about the eternal reward is really kind of where my, yeah. what, what does that mean? Well, I actually want to park on what you just said because Tyler, I wish I had added the forest fire analogy into the book. I think this is really good. There, there is a, a deeply entrenched lie going around the church today that says that, um, the only two things that last for eternity are God's word and people. That is a lie. Scripture makes hmm. it abundantly yeah. clear that this earth is eternal. The confusion, understandable confusion, is based on what I would argue is a heretical interpretation of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The very old King James version of this verse, which reads like this. I'll read it. Okay. It says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also hmm. and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And hmm. Sounds pretty clear. Earth is our temporary home. It's all going to burn up. The only two things that last for eternity are God's word and people. Mm -hmm. Not so fast. Hmm. So New Testament scholars like N.T. Wright, like Scott McKnight, like Tim Keller, like many, many others have pointed out this is literally the only place in scripture where this idea of this earth being burned up ever shows up. And actually, now with the, the newer biblical manuscripts that we have at our disposal, that word for will be burned up is not in those manuscripts. Hmm. New Testament scholars today, when you look at more recent translations, it doesn't say that the earth is going to burn up. It says something like this earth will be found out. 
or will be discovered or will be disclosed. And the forest fire analogy you just shared, Tyler, is hmm. perfect. What most biblical experts today say is going to happen is in the end of this age, there will be a fire on this earth, but not to obliterate the earth, but to refine it, to burn away all the things that are opposed to God and his purposes in the world, but maintain some of the very material, earthy things that God wants to survive for eternity. Here's why this matters so much today mm -hmm. for you, listener. If this earth is going to be obliterated like the Death Star in Star Wars, two Star Wars analogies in one episode, right? If it's going to be totally destroyed mm -hmm. and God's going to have mm -hmm. a replacement earth, then the work you and I do with this earth means nothing in the grand scheme of eternity. The work you do typing on that aluminum MacBook that was made from aluminum for the world matters not at all in the grand scheme of eternity. But if God's plan for this earth is not destruction but redemption mm. and renewal, then my work with this material world must mm. matter greatly to God because Jesus' blood paid to save, yes, People, souls, God's word, and the material world mm -hmm, that I'm mm -hmm, working with day mm -hmm. in, day out. Yeah. No, that's good. One of the, this made me think, one of the questions my wife and I always talk through is like, what is going to make it on the other side of glory? And so, yeah. Um, that's yeah. A great question. And this is kind of getting a little bit to the next. I don't think you yeah. talk about this a lot in the book, but it is something of like, yeah, like I'm drinking coffee right now, right? Like what type of coffee shops may exist in the, in the, yeah, I think coffee will will be around, but what you know is the fair trade is will Dunkin' Donuts will start like how do you know? Yes. And so would love just to hear some. I know, oh come on now! I know this I'm open. I'm opening a can. Yeah, I'm, op I'm opening a can of worms is, here. You know this is great because this is one of the eternal rewards I talk about in the book, right? Yeah, you're more familiar with treasures and crowns. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, but there's also varying job responsibilities on the new earth based on how we work in this life. Mm -hmm. There are also. I would argue one of the rewards is what we see in Isaiah 60 of some of the literal work of our hands physically lasting onto the new earth. In Isaiah 60, there's this beautiful poetic vision of this. Hmm. Isaiah is – not poetic, sorry, prophetic. Hmm. Isaiah is watching the nations come into the new Jerusalem, right? But they're not coming empty-handed. They are bringing with them what Isaiah calls the, quote, wealth of the nations. And then in a parallel vision in Revelation 21 – John sees the exact same thing. He calls them the glory of the nations. What are the glory of the nations? Hmm. Isaiah names a few. He says that he sees the ships built by the nation of Tarshish being welcomed by Jesus into the new Jerusalem. He sees incense from the nation of Sheba and refined silver and gold from some other unnamed nation, right? Ships, incense, refined silver and gold. These are the works of human hands. Hmm. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Isaiah is saying that they're going to last for eternity on the new earth? Mm -hmm. The implication here is mind-boggling. These prophetic visions suggest that some of the work of your hands, the coffee you're drinking, the product you're building, the book that you're writing, the truck you're repairing has the chance of literally lasting forever. The question, to your point, Tyler, is, mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. what work is going to survive that fire of All judgment right. that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3? And what's going to burn up? I've read every commentary hmm. I could find answering yeah. that question. Here's how I would summarize my own biblically informed guess. Thank you. As to whether yeah. or not it's going to be Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think it's any work we do with excellence and love and in accordance with God's commands. If, if, hmm. if you are doing your work for your fame, 
and your fortune, and according to your rules, your work will burn up in the end. But any yeah, work, including making a cup of coffee and repairing a truck and writing a novel that never mentions the name of Jesus, any of that work that's done for God's glory, powered by God's Holy Spirit in accordance with God's rules, is not in vain, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. And I believe that means some of the work will literally and physically last on mm-hmm. the new earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how you mentioned in accordance, was it with God's rule or God's commands? Yes. And, with God's um, commands in accordance with his rule, absolutely. I know his you, rule is king. I know you're, you've are uh, you referenced Tim Keller and he's been a you know influential figure in your life and in one of his sermons he does mention on his work kind of series is like, you know, you can you can work for the glory of God and basically everything. He's like, unless you're like a drug dealer. I, I don't know if you remember yeah. that. <laughs> I was like, I well, do. yeah, like I do. there is moments where we can be, um, or we can oppress others in our work. Um, and then in, in the, in the book you referenced, it was Acts 16, um, of the, what was it? The, the woman who was, um, I'm trying to remember that. Oh yeah. Acts 16. She oh, was yeah. selling. Where, and then where, where, where I, I think it's Paul and Silas. Um, Basically, call out economic oppression. Yes. Of this woman, and there's a lot of commentaries that are like, "Hey, listen, it, this is just further evidence that we we've got biblical mandate to call out the injustices of this world and right. not just save souls." Right. right. Uh, as important as that work is, as important as the work of evangelism is, the church will be most attractive. The gospel will be most attractive when we are also focused on the other quote unquote non soul aspects right. of the kingdom. And this is one of the great ironies, right? Of, of treating the Great Commission as the only commission, which may not be a problem in Massachusetts, Tyler, but I promise is a problem here in the South. No, 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 I believe it. When we do that, we ironically become less effective at the Great Commission because it is when the church is fully engaged in justice mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. and calling out injustices and working to create beautiful art and working to mm-hmm. create great schools and economic opportunities for all yeah. that the message of Jesus is taken That's most good. seriously yeah. in this world. Yeah, and that, that just goes back to the accordance of God's God's way, his kingdom, is, and that yes. goes back to his justice. And it's not simply to pursue justice, but also internally to model yes. that in the work that you're doing, not to oppress others, to, like, many of the, the, the prophets would call out the, the greed of those, um, you know, of the, of the nation. And unfortunately, there were, there's consequences to that. And so that's huge. Um, you know, I... Um, Covered a lot of the book, and so I, I do obviously really encourage folks to to get a copy. Um, read through read through all of it, and um, I don't always make it through a, a book in transparency here, but uh, it was really you know it was very well written, well researched, and so thank you for your just for your excellence and and um, in the time for that because I know it's 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 benefiting a lot of folks. Um, just would love to uh, just trying to think of anything else here. Anything else you wanted to add or or mention before we. Uh, wrap up our time today i would just say this man i i hope this conversation is giving listeners a taste of the two things i want them to walk away with mm-hmm. in the book one is just encouragement encouragement that a hundred percent of your time at work has the potential to matter for eternity mm-hmm. not just the one percent of the time you spend explicitly sharing the gospel or writing a check to your church uh, sure. my prayer is that readers will never sit in church again feeling like a second class christian because they work as an entrepreneur, a barista, an accountant, not mm-hmm. a pastor, a religious professional. And the second thing I want them to walk away with, though, is a challenge. And you hit on this with the eternal rewards, right? Challenge 
I pray that readers and listeners are challenged to make their work matter more in the grand scheme of eternity, because while all good God-honoring work matters for eternity, not all work matters equally for eternity. Hmm. And since today is a rounding error in the grand scheme of eternity, the most rational thing you can do is to optimize this life for the next one, to spend it rather than save it, right? Mm -hmm. To take every opportunity you can to make your work matter even more across the thin veil currently separating heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. So to the end, uh, we baked a free workbook into the sacredness of secular work mm -hmm. that gives you more than 20 practices to help you maximize the eternal impact of your work. You mm -hmm. get it for free mm -hmm. uh, right when you start reading the book. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and it's, it's serving early readers of the book really, really well. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. And I, I, and I, I that'll be uh, uh, fantastic for, 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 um, those who are reading and listening, well, actually one thing came up and I, you know, would yeah. cer certainly want to mention it, um, toward the end of the book. And you mentioned, I mean, the power of language is, is key, you know, faith, uh, sorry, you have to, you do have to preach the gospel and use, and use yes. words, not simply through actions. Um, and, and oftentimes though, our actions can be a conversation starter. And so you do mention, yes. there's an example of, uh, is it Ron Johnson from yeah. Apple who then, in his excellence of work, prompted a conversation for Steve Jobs, right? Influential man, culture uh, creator, um, to a gospel conversation. I'm, I'm reminded of even my own story coming from Catholic background. And then when I went to school, seeing how someone conducted themselves, their character, even the way they dressed, how they, how they lived their life in generosity and kindness toward us. And I knew he was a Christian by how he identified himself. And I said, wow, this is something I want to pursue because there's something, there's something unique, something uh, beautiful, dare set I say, apart. set apart. Yeah, that's the yeah definition of holy, right? And um, something, something unique. And so, and that can open the conversation to, uh, yes. to that. And so I would just say some people are, this can be uh, fear provoking in a lot of conversations we have about you know, the, the power of language. So I think you, you do yeah. give a couple examples. One I mentioned, and I know you've you researched a lot of other folks who were powerful in uh, their display of the gospel. Um, but in the end, you do leave us with some practical tips. And so yeah. you, you mind just kind of sharing a couple uh, of those? I would love to. I'll share my favorite one. Um, so again, I spent 80% of this book talking about how our work matters beyond the Great Commission. And the last chapter is, oh, and hey, by the way, the Great Commission is a non-optional command for every follower of Jesus, so we better be good at it. Yeah. And the tool that has enabled me to get better and better hmm. sharing my faith in the last few years has been a simple tool I call launchers that I stole from William Wilberforce. Uh, so ba basically, here, here's the idea, right? Like our, our conversations with our coworkers, with our neighbors tend to be pretty superficial, right? We talk about sports. Mm -hmm. We talk about the weather. But mm -hmm. I found that with this launcher's tool, by God's grace, it's pretty easy to steer conversations, to launch conversations from the surface level to the serious and to the spiritual. And so essentially what this tool is, for me, it's just a Google Doc on my phone, right? And I got a list of names of people I'm trying to share the gospel with. And next to each name, I got a list of topics to bring up hmm. that I can launch from the surface to the serious to the spiritual. So for example— we're recording this in late November, right? Mm -hmm. We're coming up on Christmas. Mm -hmm. I got a buddy. I'm going to change his name. His name's Brian, right? He's a lapsed Catholic. Next time I see Brian, I'm going to ask, right. hey, 
Uh, what are what's your family's favorite Christmas traditions? Like, what do you guys love doing with the kids? That's a pretty surface level question, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But next, I'm going to go serious. Hey, did you grow up going to Christmas Eve mass? Hmm. Next question: Why'd you stop? Because I know you don't mm. go anymore. We talked about that before. Yeah. And then get a little more, a little more spiritual. And then I'm going to ask, hey, Brian, would you and your family want to come with Kara and the kids and me to our Christmas Eve service? So just a tiny bit of intentionality. That's right. Right? But just scribbling down in my Google Doc, like, hey, kids' favorite Christmas traditions. It's just enough of a prompt so the next time I see Brian, you know, before I get out of my car and meet Brian for a cup of coffee, I'm just going to look at that real quick have a roadmap of where I mm. want to take the conversation to steer that conversation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to launch that conversation from the surface to the serious, to the spiritual. It's been a totally game changing tool for me. I've shared the gospel yeah. more in the last two years than I have in 10 years prior. Hmm. And a big part of that is because of this tool. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the example in scripture of the, the there's the sowing, then the watering and then the increase. Right. And so was it Paul did the watering Silas did the, the yep. sorry paul did the sowing south yep. did the watering and then who got the god god made the increase right and so exactly. even thinking about that is that you may sow seeds in others and have these and then somebody else may actually see this see more fruit come from that and that and that's okay right like i think so often we have this like this our approach of evangelism too is like uh, is like a car salesman, not and not against, no, we, yeah. and not we, against we, you, we car salesman. We want a microwave conference. Yeah, that's right. Instantaneous, ninety seconds. Boom. There you Boom. go. Baptize you. That how it works. Yeah. That how it works. I mean, this is what. This yeah. is Exactly what Paul's getting at. First Corinthians three. So yeah. I planted seed. Somebody else watered it, but God made it all grow, and that takes the pressure off of us, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Robert Louis Stevenson said, "Judge each day not by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant." Mm. Man. If more Christians acted this way, we'd be a whole lot less annoying and probably a whole lot more effective yeah. at making disciples of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it takes a burden off us too, right? Like it's it's the God is the one who who does save and redeem people and in his timing and sovereignty he'll he will draw those his elect to himself. And so it's Amen. Yeah. So Awesome. Well, hey, Jordan, this has been a, a gift and uh, obviously, you know, enjoys, I think this is our third time together. Yeah, and it's so crazy, right? Excited for your next book. Um, and so I think I hopefully got you for a couple more. And so uh, certainly enjoy it. And I know our, our audience does too. And so thank you so much. And um, uh, yeah, God bless. Thanks, Tyler.